All right. Lots of, lots of new faces today. Uh, seeing some old friends for the first time in a long time, and that's always exciting. So welcome to um, Redstone Church Elizabethan. And we are um, wrapping up a book study today. So today's going to look a little bit different if you're a regular Redstonian. Um, we're not going to have like a normal sermon and then pass the mic at the end like we normally do and get feedback. We're going to actually have communion today, um, but we're going to start the way that we, uh, we're going to end the way that we started. So if you'll remember back in February, we started this, this amazing walk through the book of Ephesians and we have gone verse by verse all the way through Ephesians. And today uh, we end that. And this book, I don't know about you guys that have been here walking through this with us, but it's changed me probably as much as any other book study that we've ever done, except for maybe the Sermon on the Mount about five years ago. That one really had an impact on my life. But there's something about this particular book and the way that it's broken down that has just found its way into my heart. Chris, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and I hope that that's the same way with you. But when we started back in February, we took this book and we did what it was intended to do. So when Paul wrote Ephesians, it was sent to Ephesus and they were to stand up and they were to read the entire book. Well, that's what we did. So that's how we started and that's how we're going to end. The difference is today we're going to stop after each section and instead of like passing the mic like we normally do, it's going to be more of a popcorn response. We're going to say, okay, section one, what did you hear? So if you'll notice in your worship guide, instead of, instead of having fill in the blanks today, um, instead of like truth one, truth two, and truth three, there's just open space there for you to take a pen. We've got some back in the back if you need any and just make, maybe make some notes. So when I say at the end of each section, Ephesians is broken down pretty clearly into three sections. If you've been here all year, you know that. And if you haven't, then you may not know that. So there's what we would call the position. And the position really takes us through the first three chapters. And we're going to have Tom Ermiger in a moment. He's going to come um, up here and he's going to, to read that whole section with us. And it's who we are in Christ and what he has done, where we are seated as Jesus followers. And then the next section is our practice. So we take what, what the Lord has done for us, this grand transaction in the gospel. Now, how do we live that out? How do we practice that or how do we walk that out? I think the, the word walk is used like six times. So we're going to look at that. So that's the second section. And then you guys are going to be taking some notes and we want to hear. So what did you hear there? You know, how do we walk it out? And then the last section is the protection. We've, we've been there for a couple of months now, walking through the armor of God and thinking about the fact that, yes, Jesus has done an amazing work for us. Yes, we are to live it out and walk it out in a certain way. But you know what? We've got an enemy and he hates us and he's going to scheme against us. How do we take up on the Lord's armor on us and how do we defend ourselves as we move forward? That's what Paul was intending for the church of Ephesus to hear but now that book has found its way into Elizabethan and we're going to stand up and we're going to read through the whole book. So I'm excited because we're going to jump into 1 Peter next, but I'm a little sad that we're leaving Ephesians. It's been a great, great book study. So with that as an introduction, Tom, if you will, come on up. We're going to have him take a microphone. And I'm going to stand off to the side and just turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians. 
or on your phones or on your tablets or whatever, and I am going to pray for us that God would help us to hear this book once more. Let's bow our heads and our hearts. Father, we come before you on this December the 12th with many, many things going on in our minds and in our hearts. This is a busy time of the year, and again, as I said last week, some of us are thinking about um, shopping that needs to be done or things that need to be done around the house or how tired we are or whatever. But Lord, I pray that in this moment that we'll just get out of the way and we'll, we'll hear this book as it was meant to be heard, that we'll understand what Jesus truly has done. And that these words will just sink into our hearts and they will forever change us. We must decrease, you must increase. And I pray that that would begin this morning by just elevating your word supernaturally. And may we receive it well in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take notes as Tom reads. Tom. Good morning. Am I on? Check, check. You got me, Cameron? Okay. All right, well, I'll read Ephesians 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this, in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you, Tom. So here we go. We jump into this first section that we're calling position. And one of the first passages that we see is right here. I want to give less commentary today because you've heard a bazillion words from me over the past year and just let the word speak for itself. But he starts with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ. There's a key two words there in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he proceeds to walk through that, what that might look like and what that is and what that means for us. And this is so critical. It's so critical. If we start into the next section of practice without understanding this positional part, then it will just lead us into a life of works and religion. I don't feel saved. I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel any of these things, but the word of God says them here, and by faith I believe them. This positional part in chapters 1 through 3 is what we have to go back to over and over and over again to show what Jesus has done this grand transaction, and he's given us this perspective from a heavenly peripheral perspective of all that it encompasses, and we just need to put our arms around it and hold on to it and say, yes, Lord, I believe. So what did you see? What did you hear? We normally pass the mic around at the end of the service, but we're not going to pass the mic, but just what did, what did you hear? Positionally, what did you see that took place when Jesus died for us? Somebody tell me. Go to the word. Redemption. Peace with, with God. What else? Inheritance. Not being governed by ordinances. Adoption. Sons and daughters of, of the king of kings. How amazing is that? What else? There's a ton of them, people. Look, look, look down at, your, at the word and see what you can see. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's the work of Christ. Uh, forgiveness of sins. Raised us up to live with him. I'm repeating so that people at home can hear. Echo, echo. 
All things united in him. Holy of holies. Access to the holy of holies. Reconciliation. You see where we were separated? We were completely separated, but now we have peace. We have been united. We have been reunited. We have been reconciled. It's amazing. We were dead in our sins. And look at chapter 2, verse number 4. First two words you see. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy. He raised us up. Rooted and grounded in love. We are the workmanship of God. He's created a lot. He spoke ex nihilo, I think is the word that's used there. Everything out of nothing. And that's pretty amazing. But his grand workmanship is in the ones that were made in his image. And that's us. We are his workmanship. What else? For his glory. He himself is our peace. Fills all and is in all. Say it one more time. Yeah, Paul's position as writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. He understood this grace and mercy because he didn't deserve any of that. He was having Christians killed, but because of God's grace and mercy, he called Paul and he's asked him to write this and present this to the church of Ephesus. Who am I to be doing that? Oh, I feel the same way. I hope you do too. We were without hope. There's so much here, so much here. We can continue to go, but the thing that we have to understand as we're reading through chapters one, two, and three, we were hopeless, we were helpless, we were broken, we were separated. We were, to borrow from the gospels, we were at enmity with God, but God sought us out, he's reconciled us, he's justified us, he's redeemed us, He's adopted us. He has forgiven us. He has done all of these things and more. And this position is so critical because, again, if we don't understand these things, then what we will do is we will think, okay, starting in chapter 4 with Jeremiah, if you'll come on up, what Jeremiah is getting ready to read, we'll, we'll forget the first three chapters and we'll read through and say, oh, this is what Christianity looks like. Here's how I must behave. This is what I must say no to. This is what I must say yes to. And we find ourselves trying to work for our salvation. And we cannot. It's either what Jesus has done or else we're hopeless and helpless. Because on our very best day, our very best week, there's no way that we can ever be righteous. Because even if we choose to do the right things, our hearts are still sinful. Our minds still wonder. There's parts of us that are still sinful. 
and only Christ can take that away from us. So we either believe positionally what Jesus has done or we're going to try to earn our way into heaven and we cannot. So that's so important. Let that sink in. And now let's go into chapter 4 through part of chapter 6, another lengthy reading, and let's look at how we walk out or how we practice these truths. We receive the grace of Christ, right? But what do we do with that? Just put it in our pocket and go our merry way? No. Now it changes the way that we live. We produce works in keeping with repentance. Jeremiah, whenever you're ready. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. All right, thank you, Jeremiah. So we just walked through this second section that we're calling practice. And if you look at maybe the key word, it starts right at the beginning, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, based upon everything that Jesus has done and everything that you all, you know, threw up here to me a few moments ago and more, because of all that he has done, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which you've been called. So this practice or this walking it out or living it out is important. I said earlier, we are to produce uh, fruits in keeping with repentance. It is impossible to name the name of Christ and have him truly send the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to live within us, but we continue to live the way that we once did. That's impossible. It does change us. So this practice or this walking it out, what does that look like? Let's just look at some of these. So what did you see there? Imitators of God. There's that. All right, let's just start with Let's just start with this one. Let's just be imitators of God. Okay, so what does that look like? Humility. Yeah, if you go to Philippians chapter 2, we preached on Philippians about a, a little over a year ago. And in Philippians chapter 2, you see Jesus as the ultimate example of someone who humbled himself and he emptied himself for the sake of other people. We must do likewise. What else? Long-suffering? Okay. Um, Theo said something. I didn't hear it. What was that? That's little, little Sam Adams. What, what was that? Serving and living in community. Yeah, walking with others, serving others within a community, putting others before ourselves. Yeah, take off the old and put on the new. This, isn't, this is not who you are. This is who you once were. You, you're not that person anymore. You know, I use this example, and I don't want to be preachy this morning, but I've used this example of the choke collar, that before, before Christ, we had on this choke collar, and we would try to do the right thing, and the enemy would just, you know, yank on us, and eventually, eventually we would give in. Jesus comes, and he removes the choke collar. And the enemy wants us to think that we still have the choke collar on, and it's not true. And Paul's saying, you don't have to give in to those things that you once did. That's not who you are now. The enemy may give you those same orders, but Jesus has removed your choke collar. Say no. Say no to ungodliness. What else? Expose darkness. Not only don't live in darkness, but you must expose it as well. We did a whole sermon on that, so you know I don't want to jump into that, but this is not being like, oh, I'm going to be a tattletale. I know what you did, Becca. I'm going to go tell everybody else. That's not what this is talking about. But there's deep darkness that's there that needs to be exposed. And that's what Jesus did. He was light in, in a dark world. What else? 
Yeah, fighting for unity. And the way that we do that is with humility and gentleness and patience. And we bear with one another. And if you're looking at the NIV, I think it says put up with one another. We bear with one another in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. That's different. Didn't have that before I came to Christ. What else? Forgiving one another as, as Christ forgave you. That's a big one. It's hard. And we've said this over and over and over. Christianity isn't simple. It is hard. Otherwise, we could save ourselves with our own morality and with our own religion and keeping the rules. It takes the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ living within us that reminds us all of your sins, Jerry, are forgiven. So why are you holding this grudge against him or her? You have to forgive in the same manner that you've been forgiven. I can help you do that. Believe the gospel. Over and over and over for the rest of our lives, we forgive people. What else? Yeah, so that, you know, putting away pride and walking in humility and considering the needs of other people that works its way into these relationships that we're all in. And that can be with our spouses. I'm a wife or I'm a husband. Well, what does that look like? Or I'm a child or I'm a parent. Well, what does that look like? Well, I'm an employee or I'm an employer. Well, what does that look like? The gospel has to impact where we land in this world and what we do and who we, we interact with on a regular basis. They have to be able to see it. It was either last week or the week before, I can't remember which one, and I said, if you go up to someone and they say, oh yeah, I know Jeremiah Foster, and you say, oh yeah, he's a, a Christian, and they said, really? Jeremiah Foster's a Christian? I would have never thought that. That would be bad, Jeremiah. That would be wrong, right? Because our walk has to be consistent with Jesus fellowship doesn't mean we have to be perfect and parents hear me on this one of the best gifts that we can give to our kids is to repent well in front of them to say I blew it I came home and let this stuff from work bother me and I was short with your mom I was short with you and Jesus has convicted of me of me of that and I am so so sorry and you repent in humility before your children and they can see oh Christianity doesn't mean you have to be perfect it means that you're humble and that you're transparent and that you apply the gospel over and over and over. What else? Use your time wisely. Yeah, there's a wisdom application. Walk in wisdom. How do you use your time? Time is short. It's a gift from Jesus. And we understand this, that the gospel could be that Christ saves us and then he just removes us. But he doesn't. He leaves us here Jesus says, it's better that I leave you because I'm going to come back to you. And he sends his Holy Spirit to live within us. Well, why does he do that? Because we are now his ambassadors as though he is making his appeal through us. This is why we live, to bring glory to our maker. So we must use our time wisely. That's a good one.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nanette, I, I was thinking about you the other day and just this the difference that we see in you where there was a time of like trying to like, you know, put on a smiley face. This is what Christianity looks like. But after you truly came to faith in Christ, there was just a joy and there was an excitement and there was a realness that was there. And um, yeah, yeah you, you've lived that out well. What else? He, yeah, what Jesus has done is the foundation for all submission. We, we submit, where's the passage? I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but we sit, uh, submit to one another. Um, which chapter? Yeah, there we go. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the foundation that leads to how I husband or wife or parent or employee or employer. I'm trying to turn those into verbs and Sam would say you can't do that, but I'm trying really, really hard. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit as a guide. Okay, now let's just pause. We can continue. But do you understand, let's take away chapters one through three. And let's just pretend that this book starts with chapter four. Do you see what it's doing? It's giving you law. It's giving you rules. This is religion. If you want to make this holy, perfect God happy, live this way. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. We can't. It takes the resurrected Christ within us, and it takes this faith in what he has done. It fits together. I love just the way this, this, this thing goes from our position in Christ to how we practice that, and then we're going to jump into, and Adam, if you'll come on up, Adam Stein, we're going to go into our last section. There's a position of what Jesus has done that I must go to every day for the rest of my life. I'm not who I was. I don't have to think the thoughts that I thought. I don't have to sin the sins that I sinned. That was hard. That sounds like Dr. Seuss. Um, I'm a different person now. And because of Christ, I can walk in humility and I can love others well and I can fight for unity. I can make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I can remind myself, why am I holding this grudge? Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus helped me to forgive him as well. This is how we practice it. This is how we live it out. And now we're getting ready to step into this last section and it's a little bit shorter. And we've been in this one for about seven or eight weeks here in the church. When we name the name of Christ, when we say, I am a Jesus follower, the enemy will come at us. He will scheme and we're going to see that. So let's read through chapter um, 6, 10, all the way to the end. Adam, whenever you're ready. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness." and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thank you, Adam. So we've been walking through the armor of God. Somebody tell me in just a few words, kind of a summary of the whole armor of God without walking through each piece. What did we say that the whole armor represents? Somebody say the gospel, right? We start with the belt of truth of what Jesus has done, and that's chapters one through three, and we remind ourselves that it's that truth that allows us to clothe ourselves with this, this breastplate of righteousness and that you know, fits our feet, ready to go share the gospel of peace, and I can go on and on, right? But it's all of the gospel. These aren't different pieces of armor. They are, but they all relate to what Jesus has done. They take us back to chapters one through three. Okay, so when you hear uh, this, the ending... He gives us this finally and finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And then he walks through that. So what, what hits you? What did you hear there? Yeah, so he is not the real issue or she is not the real struggle. The real struggle is happening in our hearts. And it's the enemy because he's trying to trick us into thinking my issue is with Joshua Hubbard. No, it's not with Joshua Hubbard. I mean, how can you get mad at Joshua Hubbard anyway? I mean, look at him. No, it's, it's not people. It's the enemy. It's the real enemy. That's who, our, that's who we should really be fighting. What else? Pray at all times, all occasions, for all the saints. You know, we talked about this one last week. It's this, and understand, this was one of my favorite takeaways last week, personally, was the fact that we had the ability to pray shows us that the gospel is true. That the veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies has been opened up and now we can walk into the very presence of God and have direct access with confidence because of what Jesus has done and it's not just at certain times on Sunday mornings or before I go to bed. I have access at all times and on all occasions. And I should be praying for all of the saints and be praying for those that are, that are spiritual leaders that they would speak the word of God with boldness as well. What else? Gospel boldness. Don't you love that? Gospel boldness that, we, that comes because of what Christ has done. Pretty much every day for the past eight weeks, as I've walked and I've prayed, I've put on this armor of God. And man, when I'm finished praying, I just feel like I get it. 
He's like, I get it. This is the power of God, right? I know that, that, that the enemy is just a schemer and a deceiver, but I believe this gospel, and I said it three weeks probably in a row. The last thing that can happen to me, the worst thing that can happen is the enemy takes me from this world, and even there, the enemy is defeated. The last enemy that, that Jesus conquered was death. Where, oh, death is your victory? It's gone. Jesus rose from the dead, and we will rise as well. We should have gospel boldness. What else? You can't stand without the armor. There's a bunch of stand words here. You cannot stand without the armor, which is the whole armor of God. Stand. Withstand. Stand firm. Stand therefore. You know, it's there four times in a row. We stand because of what Christ has done. We cannot fight the enemy on our own, people. We can't. We'll lose, but the, go- the gospel clothes us, and it protects us, and it strengthens us. And remember, we're not to be cowards. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gate is a defensive mechanism. We are to storm and to move forward. We may have to put up our shield of faith and duck and take cover for a season, but then we continue to march forward. Christians should not be cowards. We should speak the name of Jesus with boldness. What else? Maya what? You need every single piece of it, right? Yeah, so if I just put on my breastplate and walk out, I've got some of the pieces of the puzzle missing, don't I? You got to put them all on. Very good. It's not passive, it's active. Okay, let's, let's move on from this. There's a lot that's happening there. But you see here, he's saying, be strong in the Lord, in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor, and we emphasized these two words a few weeks back, the armor of God, that we will be able to stand. And after we've done everything that the scheming enemy brings us, we're still standing. We're still standing. Because of what Christ has done. Now we're going to finish with a little bit of a warning. And then we're going to take communion. We do this um, once a month. We've been doing it every week. But we do it once a month during uh, COVID. And I want us to end with our communion. Thinking about some of the things that we're talking about. When writing a paper or when writing a book. There's great emphasis that's given to what's the first thing that I want my readers to hear and then what's the last thing that I want my readers to hear, okay? When Tom came up and read earlier, he read this. Paul begins with, in verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, That's how he begins. He begins by saying, because of what Jesus has done, because of who he is, you are blessed. You are blessed indeed. And then he rattles out, this is what your position is in Christ. That's the first part of the book. Now let's go look and see what's the very last thing. And Paul says, led by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit. What's the last thing that these people 
need to hear. Look at it. Look at the end in your, in your Bibles. See it? Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. I said it last week that at its very foundation, Christianity is relational. Holy God seeks relationship with unholy people, loves them so much that he sends his son to come and live and dwell amongst them and to give himself for them. Then we receive this and then we love him back. It's a relational component. We pray because we have a relationship with holy God. But if we don't love the Lord, right, then we can just get sucked into religion and we can get sucked into the law and we can become great law keepers and we can unintentionally become masters of hypocrisy, making it look like we have it all together, but truthfully our hearts are so far from him. It can happen to all of us if we don't remember this one thing, and the one thing that he gives us, look at this word, it's love Jesus with an incorruptible love, an unceasing, always undying, immortal, the love of Jesus is critical. As I was thinking and praying and discussing and processing, and many times I was doing that out loud with you guys that you would run into me at the coffee company or elsewhere, and I just continued to think about this, and I was reminded that we can be heavenly, he heavily involved in the church and love our church or love our community group, maybe even be leading our community group. Listen to me, church. This is important. I want you to hear this. You can be going to church every week, going on missionary trips, being in the community group, being in discipleship relationships, and not love Jesus. The last thing he's saying is, Church of Ephesus, positionally, this is what Jesus has done this is how you live it out. The enemy hates you, but he's given you the power to overcome. But don't forget to love Jesus. Do you see that? That just hit me. And I thought about the times that I've loved the church, loved Christianity, loved my discipleship relationships, and really didn't love Jesus. I gave him lip service, but I didn't really love him. And I've repented of that over and over. And I pray that God would give us the grace to repent as well. Because if you'll go about 30 years after this book was written, you go to Revelation chapter 2, and I know you're not going to see this if you're back in the back, so you can make reference of it or open up your own Bibles. But listen to this. This is what Jesus says through John on the island of Patmos. And he's speaking specifically to the church of Ephesus. 
that we just read, and he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. That's good. That's not a bad thing. That's good. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. That's good. They're doing really good things. I know that you're enduring patiently. He's commending them, and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not growing weary. But then he says, but I have this against you. You don't love me anymore. Something happened. Somewhere along the way, this very same church that this letter was written to, the church of Ephesus, began to elevate good works and hard works hating that which was evil and clinging to that which is good. And these are all really, really good things above what is of most importance that we love Jesus. We're not just to work for him or to even speak of him or to establish programs or even churches in his name. Because God loved us, he gave his son for us. Our response is to love him back. What if we establish this church in Elizabeth and then it does amazing works? We have community groups and we plant other churches and at some point in time, Jesus says, you've done really good work. You endured a lot of persecution. I mean, the multiplication was great within community groups and you planted churches, but I've got this thing against you. You forgot the main thing, and the main thing is that we love Jesus. Do you love me? Oh, man, when I read this, when I think about this, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven. We're reconciled to him. But God, do I really love you? This is the last thing that Paul's saying to the church. I want it to hit us. I want us to think about it. I want us to pray it through. We're getting ready to step into a, a time of communion. And a communion is a time of remembering. But it's also a time of confession. We remember what he's done. Uh, worshiping, you guys can go ahead and come on up. You, we remember the gospel. We remember that our salvation rests on his finished work. But we also say, oh God, search my heart and know me. See if there be any wicked way within my own heart. Lord, check my heart. Do I love this church and do I love religion and do I love whatever, but really not love you? And if that's us, any of us, may we confess it well during this time. And we, may we pray that God would give us gospel remembrance that, yes, Jesus has done amazing things in chapters 1 through 3. Those are just amazing truths, and you all spat out many of those to us. But why did he do those things? He did them because he loves us. Jesus, do I really love you back?
That's the question that's in my heart this morning. I just want to be still. You guys can open your eyes or close your eyes. They're passing out the communion elements. But just quieten your heart before the Lord. Just pray to the Lord. Your prayer may be that you're thanking him for all that he's done positionally. Your prayer might be that you're asking for grace to practice it and to live it out in your relationships with others. Your prayer may have to do with your protection and the armor of God. But somewhere in that prayer, God, do I really love you? And help me to really love you more.